0: to be slow moving in the face of a relatively a, a world that's really driven by activity i think does mean something i mean it's also just how i feel as as i said i'm a slow moving creature in so many ways I'm Jordan Kissner, author of the essay
1: collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. We're into December, which means that it's the season for the year-end best of lists. Like the best books of 2021, or our 10 favorite debuts of the year, or I don't know, like the 10 saddest sad girl essays of 2021. Artists and writers seem to have a lot of really mixed feelings about these lists, both the ones who have to write the lists and the ones whose books do or don't go on them, but I kind of like them. Not because I really believe in calling a list of the best of anything, which seems like a pretty objective language for a pretty subjective thing, but because I think it's fun to get a sense for collective taste and how it matches the things I'm loving myself. And it just so happens that one of the books that's a hit on this year's list is one of the books that I really loved this year. It's a novel called Intimacies by Katie Kitamura. It was listed just recently by the New York Times Book Review as one of the top 10 books of 2021. And it made it onto Barack Obama's famed reading list. It's about a woman whose name we never learn, serving as a translator at The Hague. She speaks many languages, but has few and tenuous personal ties. I read it in one big gulp, and so I was excited to talk to Katie Kinemura, who came on to chat about translation, an unburied memory of her parents from her childhood, and why it's hard for her to even call herself a writer.
0: Primarily when I think about threshold, I, I I suppose I think about the way I feel when I start to make a piece of work, which is the most optimistic that I'll ever feel <laughs> about the work, um, throughout the entire process of making it and in the process of kind of publishing it and putting it out, I think the feeling that there's a boundary that you could cross is incredibly exciting to me. And that's, I always know that I'm I'm, I, I'm starting a novel rather than not starting a non-novel, if that makes sense. When I when I have that kind of apprehension of that line. I think it's, I mean, of course, when you think about thresholds, I, I find myself thinking so much about borders and boundaries and these kind of almost geographical terms um, and thinking about terrain and thinking about mapping. And I, I think for me, the feeling I have, I, I suppose one way of describing the feeling is that writing a novel when it's going well is that you're kind of occupying a territory or you're occupying a terrain that you step into a world and for the hours that you're writing you're inside of that world completely and it really engulfs you um and for you know for those hours you're not worried about all the other stuff um that kind of occupies your daily life so I, I suppose that's a that's a feeling that the sense that there's going to be a place that is going to occupy me and that is going to engross me um for a number of years that's that feeling is always very exciting Mm.
1: how do you does it just feel like an instinctual thing when that feeling is there or when you imagine that space that capaciousness to be there versus not or is are there particular things you're looking for
0: I I suppose uh, you, you know is that kind of you know the the wardrobe in Narnia, that feeling that at any moment you can sl- sneak off and you can open the door and, and kind of step into this other world. Um, that uh, a kind of uh, an imaginative world, I suppose, It that that feels incredibly expansive. And I suppose when I talk about, when, when you say the word threshold, I suppose there's a brief moment. I mean, I don't know how you find it, but I, I feel like there's a brief moment at the start of a project where it feels limitless and you feel like you can you can't even really see the edge of what you're working on. And there are almost infinite possibilities. And that's always so exciting to me. And I think one thing about writing is that bit by bit by bit in the process of committing words to paper is that those possibilities do, I think, necessarily decrease. And then at the end of the process, you you have the thing, and it's a fixed, finite, <laughs> finite thing. And, and, you know, I, I mean, my husband's also a writer, and we always you know, kind of joke that when we're, we're done with a book, we always have this feeling of is that it? I guess that's it. That's all it is. But I think when I start writing a book, it's almost the opposite feeling. And it is, is that feeling of standing, you know, before an expanse. Hmm.
1: So I, of course, read Intimacies, and I'm so curious, what felt like the vast possibilities of that project when you were at the beginning of it you know it's I'm sort mm-hmm. of imagining the way you're describing it feels like the viewfinder is really really wide and then it narrows and narrows and narrows yes. you as yeah. you get through the working on it what did the wide widest lens
0: of intimacies look like oh that's such an interesting question um I mean it, it's it was interesting writing this book because I think it the voice is relatively continuous with the voice that I used in my previous novel, and so it wasn't that experience of crafting a voice out of out of nothing, so to speak. You know, I I knew when I sat down, I knew the voice that I wanted to work with, and the kind of tone I think was already fixed. But I think the the range of, I, I suppose there are two things. Um, there was a kind of range of ideas that I wanted to try to get at, which were to some extent, moral or ethical in dimension. And then I think the other thing I really wanted to try to do in this novel was, um, to create a piece of fiction that felt claustrophobic because I think that's the the register that I tend to write in. Um, but, but that would potentially open up at the end. And so I guess one way of, of, it's it's hard not to write in relation to what you've already written in some respect, I think. And at the end of my previous novel, there's a real feeling of kind of almost paralysis at the end of the the book. And there's a sense of a kind of real limitation of possibility for the central character. And I think I knew when I started writing this book that I wanted to do the opposite. And I wanted to see if it would be possible, you know, to create an atmosphere that would Still feel relatively tense and perhaps claustrophobic, but that would at some point make a pivot and open up and become expansive at the end of the book. Um, and so, th- I think those were some of the things that I was I ha- I ho- I hoped that I would be able to do in the book when I started writing. Is kind of
1: move this tone and this voice from a feeling of real constriction or claustrophobia into a slightly wider horizon.
0: Yeah, I think that's completely accurate. I mean, I was, I was talking to, uh, actually to a a film director and he was saying that, you know, it's on the one hand, you can have your character have the realization, you know, the scales fall and they have their big, you know, realization of whatever it is, but then almost a more interesting question is what do you do after that? And I always had this question with this novel of what would it look like to have this character step forward into her life? and i think i was interested in writing a character who was uh who occupied a position in the margins to some extent somebody who was adjacent to the seat of power but didn't actually occupy it herself and that would extend you know from her career through to her personal life and i think one thing that i Wanted to think about is is actually. I mean, this sounds like I prepared it for this podcast, but I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't. But it is. I think what I wanted to do for this entire character is is to see what it would be like if she were able to step forward across that threshold. If she was able to, I kept thinking of it. Like, what would it look like for this character to step into her life?
1: What do you understand that to have meant for her? Like, what it would look like stepping into her life, or like, what are the various sort of valences? in which that is that sort of like gesture might take place
0: yeah I mean it's 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 all relatively concentrated in the final moments of the book I think and obviously on the one hand there's a a gesture of refusal in that she steps away from her kind of vocation or her job working as an interpreter at this at this war crimes tribunal um and and where the kind of feeling of implication is overwhelming for her and she no longer feels that she can be part of that system and i think you know um as ellie miles says refusal is also a, a threshold of some kind and so you know that that's a particular that's one action that she takes but one thing that was just on a formal level important to me was that throughout the novel she's speaking the words of other people a great deal both in terms of her her work where she's literally speaking the words of other people and then in terms of the form of the novel where she's often uh, there's a lot of reported dialogue rather than direct dialogue so she's constantly kind of internalizing and s- then spitting out the words of other people again and i wanted at the end of the novel for her to speak for herself to some extent and she she makes a decision which is a compromised decision and a realistic decision i think but she makes a decision about her personal life and this particular person who has kind of been moving in and out of it, but she makes a decision to take a kind of risk, which I think for that character, it is an action that kind of occupies the same space as the decision to turn down the work, um, at the court.
1: Yeah. This is the second book in a row, if I'm counting right, where the, the, narrator is a translator of some kind mm-hmm. and I'm curious why that work is is so appealing to you like is something that you kind of want to put at the center of of not just one but two works
0: yeah I think I have kind of I have the the kind of deflecting intellectual answer and then I think I have the the true kind of you know honest answer. I I suppose the deflecting answer is that, you know, I I think as a writer, it's always interesting to think about how channeling voices and how voices pass through you and what it means to have a voice, you know, the words of other people, what it means to to kind of hold them in your mouth and then to to eject them again. Um, I suppose in a kind of more personal, on a more personal level, you know, I think I'm actually not terribly comfortable with the kind of position of authorship in some way. I'm not terribly <laughs> really comfortable even calling myself a writer. It's, it's something that I really struggle with. Um, and first person for a long time was really difficult for me for this reason, because it seemed to be a voice that carries so much authority, and authority is something that I, I really feel I, I, I don't have. Um, and so I think for me to write characters who, who aren't, posi- aren't occupying a position of authorship Feels very natural to me, and it feels like a space that I'm interested in exploring. Um, I think in a separation, the the central character is a translator, but her her husband, who is who is absent, he he's the one who's a writer. You know, he's the one who's who's incredibly comfortable being a writer. He's comfortable being in the position of knowing. He's comfortable uh, showcasing and displaying his knowledge, and it's really quite the opposite for her.
1: I'm so startled to hear you say that you have a hard time even calling yourself a
0: writer. What would you call yourself if not a writer? Well, I think that's the difficulty is I don't really have any other. I mean, you know, I I, I kind of always use this this uh, this anecdote, I suppose. But you know, for a long time when I was coming in and out of immigration, I would never write down "writer" on my on my immigration form. I would always write down something like I don't know, teacher or 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 something else i i i don't know i i i just didn't feel i mean some of that i suppose is 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 because i think for me writing a novel is such a private has for a long time i mean i i think less so necessarily as as i carry on but for a long time was an incredibly private thing for me and it was something that i felt was very much only for myself and i suppose there was even a certain element of shame to it. It felt like something that I would scurry, (laughs) scurry off to a corner and do. And I think now it's becoming easier for me to kind of step forward a little bit more. Um, But it did feel like a very private and hidden thing. And I think that's probably related to it as well.
1: What do you think the authority you were saying earlier that you don't quite feel like you have the authority or there's such authority associated with being a writer or being an author. What do you feel like exists in the gap between you and that, you and the sort of capital A author?
0: Still. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, th- I think I, sh- I should add, obviously I have a fair amount of distrust for authority, <laughs> In general, <laughs> and a fair amount of distrust for certainty, I think, and that's the thing that I really don't have. I feel like writing is for me a space where I go to be uncertain about things and to to try to figure out what I think about something um, which I think it, I think is that's the case for many, many writers. I think you know if you arrive at a project with certainty, you probably. Won't have much drive to really complete it on some level. I think writing feels like a space where you can afford to allow an idea to unfold and then maybe you know fold it back up again and put it away or maybe push it further. Um, But but in general, I think you know I I I I like the relationship between uncertainty and creative work, and I think I think certainty you know it works for some some writers I think very well, but for me, it doesn't feel like a space where I can be terribly productive.
1: Mm. Going back to translation for a second, there were two, there was a line in Intimacies that I highlighted because I really loved it. And the protagonist is speaking to someone she's translating for. And she says, my job is to make the space between languages as small as possible. Um, And that really spoke to me to the the title of the book of intimacies that languages can rub up against each other in, in an almost spatial way that languages can be intimate with each other, that we can try to make translation and active of, of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this narrator also, also occupies a, a web of relationships that are full of what feel like really big gaps between Mm -hmm. what is being said and what is being understood or, or what is being communicated and what is, you know, what's being translated there. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you about how you thought about proximity between Mm -hmm. your narrator and the people around her, um, Mm -hmm. whether linguistic or emotional or otherwise.
0: Yeah. I, I love this, this idea of language having a kind of spatial or almost physical proximity um, I mean, I think I, I thought about, I think I thought about intimacy, it, you know, a little bit like the word empathy is, is one of these words that is, we're often kind of conditioned to think of it as an unequivocal positive thing. Um, but throughout the novel, as you noted, what the character is really experiencing is proximity and intimacy of multiple kinds, some of which. Are desired and some of which are undesired, and I think the kind of play between those two things is really what I was thinking about in the title, which is intimacies in the in the plural rather than in the singular. Um, and I think in terms of the kind of, I mean, she she's a character who's an interpreter. I think it, it not simply in her work linguistically at the court, but also just in the way she moves through the world. And I think all the time she's caught up in this act of interpretation, you know, she kind of observes people and there'll be one version and then a second version and then a third version. And I think the misinterpretation or the gaps between the interpretation, or maybe misinterpretation is the wrong way of putting it, but the multiplicity of interpretations is really Important both to the character and I think to the project. I I I like I like I like a book. I I mean I wanted to write a book where you would feel the movement of this character's mind on the page, and you would see her grasping at an idea or an interpretation of something, and getting it maybe slightly wrong, and then kind of doing it again and again and again, and trying to finally achieve maybe on the third or fourth try kind of approximation of what's actually happening. So the gap between what is happening and the act of interpretation is actually really important. I didn't want and maybe this ties back to what we were talking about earlier with authority is I didn't I'm not really interested in writing a character who looks around the world and understands it perfectly at first glance, in part because it's not a kind of psychological space I'm that interested in as a writer, but also because I I don't know very many people who move through the world in that way, in truth. Um, you know, I think I, I love writing in the first person, but I think the kind of perfection of first person narratives means that there's a gap between, you know, the artifice of, of, of fiction writing, of novel writing is really present on the page because people don't actually grasp upon the perfect metaphor, for example, on their first try, it often takes one, two, three, four tries to kind of reach that. And so that that kind of approximation, those multiple attempts, is really central to my sense of of this particular voice. Hmm. I love that
1: answer. I'm just going to think about it for a
0: second. <laughs> 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 I'm to uh, remember saying, "What did I just say to that? I- <laughs> it was, was just... really good. <laughs> I liked it a lot." <laughs>
1: it's just like it stumped my my impulse toward toward like having
0: a really smooth next question prepared I, I actually thought if she asks me a question related to what I just said I'll really be in trouble because I'm not <laughs> sure what I said
1: I mean, you said this really beautiful thing about multiplicity of meanings and the sort of artifice of fiction or fiction that happens in an eye, a mm. first person fiction in that like the first person fiction creates this this sense that what we're getting is sort of an un, unmitigated internality, whereas nobody would actually sound like that mm-hmm. on their first try. Um, and that that, I don't know, that multiplicity of meaning. Is something that also the protagonist struggles with. I something that I really liked about the novel was the way that she the the unnamed protagonist, although I keep having this impulse to name her something, but Oh, realizing do you have that,
0: a name for her? No, I don't. Do you? I don't either, no. <laughs> but I'm open to
1: suggestions. <laughs> no, I would never. She should stay unnamed. Uh she's She's not just a translator, she's a translator at the Hague and mm-hmm. one of the plot points of this book is that she is translating for somebody who is seeming to be guilty of some pretty atrocious crimes against humanity and her the act of translation for her also kind of gets mixed up in moral uncertainty or this question of her own implication not just in um being the person who's who's translating for this man but also being a part of the world in which his actions are possible mm-hmm. um and so there's not just an ambiguity operating in the book around interpersonal relationships but there's this kind of broader moral ambiguity that mm-hmm. that seems to be accessed through Through translation as a metaphor, and I'm curious how you decided to shape that into the book. I know you've said elsewhere that that was a kind of moral vertigo, felt like an inciting—I don't know—an inciting impulse for Mm -hmm. for this
0: project. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I I think that's absolutely true. It was definitely one of the things that you know when uh, when I I I talked. Earlier about kind of setting out and starting the project, that was something that I really wanted to explore, this kind of question of complicity and implication. And I think I wanted to think specifically about how language is part of that, and how, you know, we're implicated by Dent of the very language that we use. Um, I think for this character, you know her her job requires neutrality, and I think, um, she thinks of herself at the start of the novel as almost like a kind of... Con- I think at one point she maybe even says that she's a kind of consciousness-free zone, but she thinks of herself as a kind of depersonalized instrument of the core. And I think over the course of the novel, she comes to understand that not only is she changed by the language that she kind of briefly holds in her body and then speaks, but also she changes that language in some way as well, um, so I think that was almost that was one of the kind of formal aspects that I wanted to think about when I was writing the book, um of this kind of question of of how language uh, even that purports to be neutral, or maybe especially language that purports to be neutral, is actually very much freighted in quite complex questions. Um, and I think with the court, which is loosely based on the International Criminal Court in The Hague, You you know, I wasn't setting out to write a kind of indictment of the international criminal justice system by any means, but I wanted to think about the fact that it was an institution, that it is an institution. And as such, it works in tandem with other institutions. Um, And I think when I, maybe when I first started thinking about the project, it seemed to me that, you know, this was, I I suppose I, I was quite naive about, about the the court in some ways. And then I think the, the more I thought about it, I mean it, it it there there are great complexities about its jurisdiction, about the range of action it's able to take that have real results in its record and the places where it has um prosecuted war crimes. So obviously most notably the United States, China, Russia have not signed the Rome statute. So they're not kind of they're not under the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. And so that means that war crimes perpetrated by the American government, for example, cannot be tried, whereas you know any number of African nations have been tried um, in the courts. So, so that that kind of the reality of when we talk about institutional bias, it's it's not simply a question. I don't think of personnel, at least in this case, it's not a, a, the kind of question of, of of diversifying the personnel at an institution. It's actually really deeply ingrained in the institution itself and the relationships that it has and the kind of scope of action that it's able to take because of other very large and intractable institutions um so i've i feel like i've now drifted quite far from your your question but but that that kind of larger question of this this quite small individual and her quite small actions how they fit into these much larger questions um and that gap and how we, the cognitive dissonance of that gap, how we struggle to kind of comprehend that gap. That was, that was something that was really interesting to try to write within a novel. I don't
1: know. Forgive me if this is going to sound irritating to you, but why was that something of all the things that you wanted to work on to sort of immerse yourself in the world of, why was that the one for you?
0: Um, do you mean, do you mean the court or do you mean
1: the court or just this question of small action, you know, the, the small actions of an individual being implicated in these much, much larger systems oh, right. of of justice or injustice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I imagine that's something that many people have been thinking about over the last four to five years in particular, I would think, um, or at least I, certainly it was something that I was thinking about is is even more than. Than usual, I think it, it felt to me like I, you know this novel is set in 2016, and it's um, in the run up to the to the Brexit referendum, which is referred to in the novel. Um, but I I wrote it kind of between 2016 and probably 2019 or 20. I don't know. That's <laughs> it took me a long time to write it, but it it was written over a period of several years. And I think during that that period, I think you know the the question of of complicity and implication and and how we are part of these larger systems, you know, whether we like it or not. And that the act of disavowal, I think, is quite a complicated one. I think it's, you know, it's not as simple as saying not in my name or I reject that, you know, it's still we are part of these larger social structures, as I said, through so, so many different ways, even just through the language that we use, the language we have access to. Um, so I, I think it, it, in some ways it feels quite personal to me. Um, although I, I, I do understand <laughs> the specificity of, of writing a novel that set in the Netherlands is, is 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 probably more opaque. But I, I did have a, a funny experience writing the book, which I ended up giving to the central character, um, where I had done all the research for the novel and I'd spent a fair amount of time in the Hague and I'd written a draft. And then it was only after I finished writing the novel, that I realized that I had spent considerable amounts of time in the city as a child and that my father had taken his, he was an academic and he took a sabbatical in The Hague. And so I think there was also something quite personal that was drawing me to that location, although I didn't see it until after I had written a full draft of the book.
1: What do you remember now of that time? When you were a child in the hague
0: it it was a completely magical experience you know i my father died quite a long time ago now, I suppose twelve thirteen years ago um and I had these very specific memories of our time together in in the hague but i I didn't know it was a hague, and I couldn't really work out where it was and I remembered going to a little theme park I remembered walking on the dunes, running on the dunes with my dad holding his his hand and I hadn't been able to place him. And then suddenly I realized it was in the Hague and I caught up a kind of Google maps and I could literally pinpoint where these things had taken place. And it was like watching free floating memories suddenly slot into place in an incredibly specific and powerful way. Um, And so that was something that I ended up giving to my central character. And then I think ended up being one of the emotional through lines of the story in the end, but that was something that was not, in the book, in the first draft, it was really something that was added in in subsequent drafts.
1: Yeah, the father, um, the protagonist has recently lost her father at the outset of the book. And that's kind of been the motivating incident that sends her to this job in the Netherlands. And then the, we pick up the thread of the father later in the book, mm-hmm. in the scene. And I'm curious, I know you've spoken a little bit before about your own father and I'm just I wanted to ask you where where that experience in your life lives in this project
0: Mm -hmm. um it's interesting because I, I think something I think about a lot is how writers metabolize events in their own lives and how quickly or slowly they metabolize them and I think. I've just realized that I do it incredibly slowly. Um, you know, the, my last book and this book as well, although perhaps to, in a different way, but they're both books to me that feel like they're about grief. Um, and and I think that kind of slow moving grief where it's a feeling of disorientation um, almost more than anything else. And so, I mean, in in, in my previous novel, A Separation, it's, it's really there in a quite upfront way. Um, you know, there's these the the figures of these professional mourners are quite significant in the novel. And they're people who are paid to mourn on behalf of the bereaved, and they they come to funerals and they they perform these kind of mourning songs. Um, so I think in that novel it's it's quite explicitly about grief. And here as well, I think it's something that is touched upon in the beginning and then it comes back at the very end. And so in some ways it's not explicit but it it's very much informs the atmosphere of the entire novel the sense in a way which i i find very strange about grief but is that on the one hand it, it's it feels like a great constriction in your life but on the other hand suddenly it is as if anything could happen it's it's you know it's almost like the worst has happened therefore anything can happen and and that sense that things can be torn down and built up in an entirely different way, I think is, is part of how that character is operating. You know, she suddenly moves, she has no attachments. She's very much free floating and she's adrift. And I think by the end of the book, she, she kind of drops an anchor or she drops one anchor. Um, and that, that is the kind of signals, if not an end to her grief, then a kind of evolution of it to another phase.
1: It's so interesting that you use the word disorientation when you're talking about grief and and so actually also just so much of what you just described sounds like that. Sounds like the feeling that many people had during the pandemic of oh my gosh mm-hmm. all of a sudden everything can everything that i thought was stable can drop away and mm-hmm. now i'm in this space of total disorientation. But if i caught you correctly earlier you finished this book before
0: the pandemic is that right <laughs> <laughs> I did I did I had that funny feeling you know I I think I finished it uh maybe just before the pandemic started and then I was getting my edits during the pan at, in the kind of early months of the pandemic and I thought I could try to change this but I just don't think I can in the books anyway set in 2016 and then it was really interesting because there are a number of books that came out at a similar time to my book and and the writers did manage to kind of take in the pandemic. And I was just, you know, I guess this goes back to what I was saying about how slowly I metabolize the world around me. You know, it's, it was inconceivable to me that I could, you know, um, write the pandemic into my book in in any form, um, while I was still in it. And I, I have so much admiration for the writers who were able to kind of very quickly kind of create a, a, I don't want to say document, but, but I do want to say document, you know, create a representation of what these, these years have felt like. Um, but that was not me. I finished writing it before the pandemic and I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't change it really during the editing process.
1: Yeah. I can imagine that it would have been tempting to do that, but I also can't imagine how you, how that would have worked in a, in a, in the novel that you wrote. <laughs>
0: I'm so glad you resisted that impulse forward to to
1: 2020. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was just one of those like uncanny echoes. There is this sense of the narrator as being somebody who takes action and is moving through her life but as you said is a little bit held back from her life she hasn't quite entered her life and i mm-hmm. i saw that elsewhere she's sort of been described as a passive figure mm-hmm. um i was thinking about that and i was wondering if there was sort of a moral dimension to that to that kind of passivity mm-hmm. that you wanted to be commenting on in mm. this in this work it's
0: it's interesting i i i uh when I was in my 20s, I worked on this uh, documentary series that was about psychoanalysis in cinema, and, and it was with Slavoj Žižek, who kind of would talk about different films. And I remember he had this funny little riff about how in our culture, we're always told to be, you know, we're always encouraged to be doing things in the kind of capitalist mode, the kind of just do it. And he would always say, just don't do it. What about don't do it? Just, Just, just be be passive. You don't have to be active all the time. Um, and I, I, I mean, maybe that actually went down quite deep, but, but, you know, I don't think of her really as a character who's a, who's a dropout in any way, but I do think of her as a character who's relatively interested in, in refusal of some kind, I think. Um, I don't know that there's an ethical dimension to that. Um, and I don't think I would, you know, she's no Bartleby the Scrivener by any means. But, you know, yeah, I mean, that that kind of to be slow moving in the face of a relatively a, a world that's really driven by activity, I think does mean something. I mean, it's also just how I feel. As as I said, I'm a slow moving creature in so many ways. Um, so it, I, I, I don't know that I would be able to kind of pinpoint and I certainly didn't write it with a particular moral imperative and I, I and i do think that by contrast i think a lot of the book is about how there is this kind of ethical pressure for her to actually do something um and to kind of take responsibility for whatever her part is and what's taking place around her um but i think i i it's funny you know we're really taught to read fiction in terms of action I think or or I certainly was to think about how a character you know how plot the kind of motor of plot, the motor of action, the motor of activity and i I think I'm just quite interested in what happens when you when a character doesn't do what's expected um, and that's a kind of action in and of itself, but it takes a form of passivity quite often in my in my novels.
1: How do you feel about that as a quality in yourself? It's interesting. I'm I'm always curious when somebody puts a quality of their own into their Mm. characters, Mm. what that says about their relationship with that quality personally.
0: I mean, I... I, uh... I mean, I, I suppose from reading this novel, you could conclude that it's not a quality I admire terribly much in myself. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I guess it's there's a combination of the way you feel about a, a quality in yourself. And I, I think if, if you're entirely resolved, it's probably not useful to write about it in some ways. So I think if I... If I felt very resolved about it in my in my own self, then I wouldn't feel the need to put it into, a, to explore it within the space of fiction. Um, so I think I don't know, if I can say that. I think I don't know.
1: Thresholds is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar, Strauss, and Drew. I'm Jordan Kistner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kistner. We'll see you next week.